0: of Columbus is fascinating because Columbus in his own lifetime gets arrested and dragged back to Spain in chains for his treatment of um, largely the Spanish colonists in Hispaniola um, and is banned from going back to the island and dies and his heirs enter into like a 30-year-long lawsuit with the crown that they lose. So like Columbus during his own lifetime is much more problematic than he is in the way people would like to present him now. The reason we keep talking about Columbus and the defense of Columbus has much less to do with Columbus as a real figure than the attempts to um, bring the Italian-American community into the cultural concept of whiteness.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Wet Wired. I'm Sean Andis, And I'm Julian Paul Butt. Today, we're joined by the great Thomas Lecoq. Historian, educator, writer, and I think the thing you're most famous for is being a Twitter pugilist.
0: <laughs> uh, I love that. I'm going to use that.
1: Put it on your CV. Yes. <laughs> Rather than like try to cover the, the gamut of the things that you're, you're involved in and working on, maybe you could take a minute and tell everybody listening about yourself.
0: Yeah, hi, all. Uh, I'm Thomas Lecocq. I'm an associate professor of history at Grandview University in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I work on religion and violence and apocalypticism. And that sounds super vague and kind of ominous and good. It's super vague and incredibly ominous. And I kind of work on it across history. Uh, My initial training was as a medieval historian. My first book is a uh, biography of a First Crusade leader and just submitted the revised manuscript to my editors last week. And I, during the last Iowa caucus, the last kind of big, the last Democratic Iowa caucus that mattered, uh, I started writing about uh, politics too. And because my expertise is in religion and violence and apocalypticism, it very quickly became about the ways that religion and violence and apocalypticism are still present now, which is um, bad generally bad. Uh, and so I started writing about far right groups and Christian nationalism and January 6th and like kind of all of the many things you can write about on this topic uh, that keeps escalating. And somewhere along the way in between finishing the kind of stuff I was doing on the middle ages and working on now, I have been teaching about colonial America for the past seven years and started writing about the fact that when I'm teaching it, the sources I look at all of the things I study both now and and in the Middle Ages are also present in early America. It's like we keep doing the same things over and over and over again and thinking that they're new. When I'm not writing about really bleak things like that, I am writing about video games um, and teaching using video games, which is kind of my other thing that I really enjoy doing and uh, ruining video games. I really enjoy ruining <laughs> pop culture for people by making them think through it more than they wanted to. It's the little things in life.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, – so you constantly amaze me because of how busy you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so so you, you said you'd pull back from, uh, from writing about current events, at least you know in, in the recent months. That's because you have you're, – you're now teaching six courses this semester. Six
0: courses, five separate preps. Yes. Uh, so I'm I'm a little bit busy right now. I'm uh, somehow for some reason still trying to get back to writing about contemporary events alongside everything else. But I'm teaching um, ancient world history, medieval world, uh, colonial revolutionary America, uh, an upper division class on using Call of Duty: Modern Warfare, the original t- uh, the original trilogy, to talk about both the Cold War and the War on Terror and moving forward the way we think about Russia.
2: Is that, a, is that a class that that you created specifically?
0: Yes, it's History and Gaming, uh, History 381. I've been teaching it, this is the fourth iteration. It was originally every other year, it's now every fall. I've now taught Skyrim, Wolfenstein Two, The New Colossus, this is the fifth time, Greedfall, Fallout New Vegas, and now Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And every time we look at a different period of history and kind of the way video games, um, as, as all media does, presents a vision of the past that has very little to do with the actual past and more with our nostalgic reflections for this time period, and using them yeah. as a jumping-off point to actually talk about that period of history and what's really happening and what we're choosing to lose of that depiction.
1: And we actually talked about Wolfenstein too in our last conversation. That was the bulk of the episode, which turned out to be sort of an, an eerie prediction of, of Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about uh-huh. Jewish space lasers. Yes, I mean, it was, it it was, it was bizarre because when that, when she said that, I was thinking like, we had this conversation and it came from, it was brought about by us talking about a video game Yep, and we identified that as a possibility then in that cover or rather you did. And we had a conversation about that.
0: Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. Right. Like the thing about video games is that same with you can say film, television shows, they are a reflection of the culture at the time that they're made for you know better or for worse and so it makes a nice lens into a window of the time period they're made and the way that we think about the world at the time um the problem is some of them uh some of them hit a little bit too close to home like wolfenstein 2 feels bad because we do in fact have neo-nazis marching the streets right now um i got yeah. pictures of like, like the what is it the blood uh, is it blood tribe blood pack is a mass effect thing it's but the blood tribe nazis that were um in Florida before it hit the news I had a friend who lives in that town who was sending me pictures of them on the bridge because they were like on her way into work she drove past them right Nazis are so Yeah and they've showed up
2: distance. a few times recently too uh,
0: yeah 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 it's not as strange as we'd like it to be yeah right it's, it's really a thing of the It would be States. nice if there you know, was
2: right? a lot more fiction you
0: you would love that right you really want these kind of worst case scenarios to be something that like feels so far outside of your reality that like you wouldn't have to worry about it and yet here we are
2: the video games almost provide a, a little bit more um, mask off look into the temperature of the present zeitgeist. Yes, where with with uh, uh, TV or or other forms of media like that, there's a story being told, but there it's really more it's it's more of a direct uh, f- from the from the writer to the audience. Here's what the story is. Yeah, And uh, it's confined by a lot of things that video games, Mm. well, this is fiction, and it's really fiction. So you don't have to worry about the villains Mm. being a little bit too villainy to be palatable. Yeah.
0: Well, and the the thing I find really interesting about the mechanics of the video game is that it is a scripted environment. Even your most sandbox possible game that promises you infinite choice, it's infinite choice within a script that's written out of what the possibilities are. Mechanics are a big part of this. So you have infinite choice within a carefully scripted reality, and the choices you are able to make are all things that the writers decide are acceptable. So if you're in a video game and you can massacre civilians, that's because you have the ability to massacre civilians because they decide this is a thing to leave in the game. And some games provide, like there are penalties, right? There are games where if you shoot a civilian in a game, you lose. That's it. The game is over. That's a clear indication like, hey, this is wrong. The old Fallout games, um like Fallout Three, um, for the, like, there's a morality system. That, like, if you kill people who don't deserve killing, which is already, <sighs> we've just decided there's like some <laughs> <positive laughs> the totally already been yeah. done. Yeah, <laughs>
1: there's some there's some weird <laughs> shit in there,
0: right? Like, you've already said like murder is fine as long as it's the people we've scripted are the people you can murder. If you kill people scripted as innocent, there is a penalty. It's negative karma points. You know that you're being an asshole. In a game where none of that exists, you kill people and you just kill people and it's just a game choice that they've built in there, right? When you can join a group in a massively – like a massive game that has clearly fascist ideology and it's just normal, that's putting something in place. Um, when I taught Skyrim, the first time I taught this gaming in history class, we talked about the fact that the Stormcloaks are basically neo-Nazis. Right, they they're, they want a white ethno state, and if their rhetoric is taken to its logical conclusion, if they win the civil war, you should have like khajiit bodies hanging from the trees, and you should have massacred Argonians one of the cities. And they never make you deal with that because they don't want to deal with the ramifications of the rhetoric they're allowing you to play around with. But this happens a lot in video games where you have these options to make these choices. You are complicit with the scripted reality because you're playing it, and then we just treat it as being like a fun time. And I think that can be incredibly problematic.
2: There, there are games uh, like I'm thinking of board games specifically, like Axis and Allies, um, and uh, 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 other things that have a definite villain from history. Yes, and in the board game, you have to play as somebody, and and it, it comes to my mind, who's the one who likes to play Germany in Axis and Allies, uh, or 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 another example I'm thinking of is is the um, Civil war reenactors who are yeah. playing for the South. Yep. And and it's like, well, yeah, I know it's just fiction and, and everybody's just doing some dress up. But, but. you chose this particular side yeah. for, for, for this activity. And it's not necessarily to say that anything is implied but that's the one you
1: chose. Did you guys ever see the Key and Peel skit where they show up yes. as slaves
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> for the Civil War reenactment?
1: Yeah, I, love I,
0: love I, love I mean, what you really want this to be right is like you want this in a reenactment like where you're flipping a coin and the person who gets, like who loses is the Confederates and that they're like pissed about it, right? You don't want to be like... Right. This is what I do. I want to represent Southern heritage. Well, you could do that. There's a lot of South. There's a lot of heritage. You could go a lot of places. Flying a Confederate battle flag of the Army of Virginia, like that's that is a very specific choice. That's not heritage. That's just hate. You want to do heritage? Like go get an antebellum like state's flag. I don't know. Make some performative claim there. That's not what you're doing, and you know that's what you're doing. This is all Second clan shit.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. This is the part that I, I think that, like, we should just be allowed to be more deliberate about. It's like you're making a specific choice deciding now in 2023 that you want Confederate stuff in your house.
1: Yeah, it's
0: not a great choice.
1: And yeah, you're right. You could have <laughs> you can fast forward 30 years and get an and get an antebellum state capital flag or something like that and say, yeah. this is my heritage. And And yeah. a lot of those flags have been updated over time. So this is a historical flag. So here you go. Here's here's your history. Yeah. Have, some, have, some, I mean, st- have some state history. Get really excited about like the Southern
0: campaigns in the Civil War, in the Civil War, in the Revolutionary War if you want. Like go go to town with that. That would be yeah. a possibility. Feel free, right? Get weirdly into the war of 1812 and be like, super well, no, what's right. you super excited about Andrew Jackson? I'm sorry. That's that's not better.
2: We don't see a whole lot of people cosplaying the World War II theater in, in Western Europe. Uh, we don't see a whole lot of people dressing up. Mm. Well, I mean, we see people dressing up as Nazis, but that's Uh, A little bit of a different (laughs) kind. No, but I mean, like, there is, there is like, the
0: rhetoric in the same way that people love the idea that, like, Robert E. Lee is this brilliant general who's, like, super conflicted about, like, committing active treason as a military officer, betraying his nation in the cause of aggressive racism.
1: I saw that shit on Twitter. Right. Like hold <laughs> <laughs> so on. like you, you to this. that PragerU video with the kid oh the one God. of the the PragerU kids oh video God. where yeah. Lee, Lee and uh, and Grant are sitting across from a table and they're like, "Yeah, I guess we just found ourselves on opposite sides of the issues." Mr. Grant, was there ever a time that you had to meet a losing opponent face to face? Yes. At the end of the Civil War on April 9th, 1865. I met with Confederate General Robert E. Lee to write down the terms of his surrender.
0: Was it awkward? Yeah, like what kind of conditions did you demand?
1: It was a little awkward. I was a bit of a mess, but I did try to be accommodating, not demanding. Lee was a good military man. We had fought together in the Mexican-American War, but this time he was on the wrong side of things. Yeah,
0: well, and the the thing about that is like, it's the aggressive lie, right? Because like we, we have Grant's journals we know what he thinks about this he is um very unkind and it like when you read grant's journals about how he feels about the confederates it's really like you never love grant more than those moments this is the problem that we we want it to be both sides it's the problem in our media it's the problem in the way we present history it is sometimes the way that we craft our fictional universes that you want to build like a justification because you want to have like complexity and nuance and like that's great, but the Confederate leadership should have been hung by the neck until dead in the immediate aftermath of the war. It's treason. These yeah. are people who betrayed their nation, who had sworn oaths to do otherwise. I don't have sympathy for them. You don't need to do the complex nuancing of Nazis in like an American audience where like, well, they were good at industry. Like, No, you don't have to say that. This is not the place. Like, Historians can talk about the careful nuancing. Great. On a generalized level, you don't need videos being like, well, but... All of these people were very fine people. We know where people get that rhetoric. That's what you get in Charlottesville. It has the exact same level of bullshit as that.
2: Looking back at historical events and, and certain periods of time with this nostalgia, with these ro- rose-tinted glasses, but I, I think what's kind of missed here is as we're doing that and having things like Prager U in in Florida as a legitimate teaching device – even though there's no accreditation for Prager U spelled with a U, but you have this coming in and saturating the the general psyche. The impact of it is not necessarily as overt as you have to believe this. This is the history you have to believe. It's that in the absence of other stuff, yeah, we have this perception of history from the... Uh, cultural artifacts of our time and our place, yeah. literally from TV and, and movies and video games and, and all sorts of other things that, that uh, when you're watching Rose in the Titanic, yeah, it's kind of historical, but I don't think Rose was there, <laughs> but it, that whole story is still embedded in our consciousness yeah. in the absence of better history or yeah. more nuanced and informed history.
0: When you don't give people other scaffolding, they fill it in with bits and pieces that they know. The thing about PragerU is that we we like to attack it because it's not an accredited educational source. And I think think that is in many ways problematic. It's the easiest line of attack. It keeps us from having to defend like partisan identity and blah, 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 blah. But like people use like John Green videos in class too, right? Which do like these sketches of periods of history, right? Yeah. The difference is... John or Green, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bill Nye the Science Guy. These are also like not like accredited educational material, but what they're attempting to do is present like sketches of fact in an engaging manner. What PragerU is trying to do is literally indoctrination, right? This is this is the difference. Is that like every. Everything that gets said about schools feels like it, like either a confession or like a fantasy, right? Like they're indoctrinating our kids. So you're going to put actual indoctrination. Videos. Dude, like I'm trying to get students to read the books and then yell at me about them. I would <laughs> love my students to fight me more because it would mean that they were engaging with it and going above and beyond and doing more reading, and getting mad at me. And I try to encourage them to do that, but like they're busy. They have a lot of other things going on. I am very overt in the fact that my vision of the past is my vision of the past. I am not the sage on the stage giving you like, this is just how it is. Here are building blocks of how we talk about the past. Here's why everything is an interpretation. Go out and do the work to have another interpretation. Fight me on it. And they don't, largely. (laughs) But I make sure that they understand that like they could and they could make logical arguments countering everything I say if they want to do that work. PragerU doesn't do that because PragerU is literally crafting a fantasy world. It is deliberately lying about the past to sell a narrative of American history where we have always been the good guy. Everything that has ever gone wrong is just a a terrible accident that we could never have
1: seen coming. (laughs) No white person has ever committed a crime. And if they did, it was just an oopsie daisy. Or everybody else was committing a crime. And you just have to understand the context of the historical period. God. Like that widely spread Christopher Columbus yeah, clip Columbus, where he's the
2: like, shit. Hey, everybody was into slaves at the time, buddy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, is it what it's 15,
0: 1512 that you have a friar on Hispaniola on Christmas day, say that no Spaniard in the colony will ever do anything, but go straight to hell for the treatment of the natives. Like, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't give me the bullshit every one of the time when we have the primary documents, be like, Hey, y'all are monsters. Everything you doing is abominable in the eyes of God. Like we have too many sources of people, pushing back, and what the PragerU videos do is that it absolves you of any of that. You you narrow it down, you flatten out history, and like, hey, we're all just a product of our time, and who are you to judge? I'm a historian. That's literally my damn job, is to judge you. <laughs> Piece together sources, and then make commentary about who you are as a human. I joke about the fact that my job is to speak ill of the dead, but it's not really a joke, because you pile together the fact that these people we idolize and who we then have to deal with the fact that they are not the heroes. There are lots of sources at the time of other people inform- telling them that this is bad and them choosing not to listen. And that doesn't mean you have to throw out all of their accomplishments, but you also don't need to diminish the atrocities. The complexity of human- humanity is important.
1: The fact that those acts were – they were so prevalent and then buried later on, you know, like like Columbus and the treatment of, of the natives that he encountered when in, in North America – or the islands around North America, at least acknowledging that there are other voices that were incredibly critical of those things, like you just mentioned, but they still went on. That the the main difference between that historical context that that we keep we keep being asked to understand is just that the people in charge didn't care about that stuff. So there were plenty of people that were resistant, but. You still had these people that like, despite all of these, all the condemnation were engaging in all this stuff anyway. Mm. And they were just able to get away with it. I'd even add
2: to that, that these are, these are people who at least had some significance enough to be able to write it down that we're reading it present day. So I think it's, it's because when we talk
0: about history, we're not just talking about what happens, right? We're talking about analysis and interpretation and narrative building that comes from then on. So the defense of Columbus is fascinating because Columbus in his own lifetime gets arrested and dragged back to Spain in chains for his treatment of um, largely the Spanish colonists in Hispaniola um, and is banned from going back to the island and dies and his heirs enter into like a 30 year long lawsuit with the crown that they lose. So like Columbus during his own lifetime is much more problematic than he is in the way people would like to present him now the reason we keep talking about Columbus and the defense of Columbus has much less to do with Columbus as a real figure than the attempts to um, bring the Italian American community into the cultural concept of whiteness. You are turning Italian American because I mean like clan rallies are happening in Italian American neighborhoods in, in New York city through like the forties, right? Like this is, isn't it Donald Trump's dad who, who may have been in one of these rallies? Yeah. Right. I always. feel like, right. But like these are, this is because whiteness is a concept it is not. There is no objective reality to the cultural concept of white. It is a changing and shifting and malleable com, uh, category, which we can talk about later with contemporary politics. It expands out to incorporate groups that see fit, and the attempts to become white are all crafting of narratives. So the reason we celebrate Columbus Day is not because Christopher Columbus discovers the United States, because he does not. It's not because he's linked in a meaningful way. It's Making the story of the Italian American community part of a universal narrative of colonial foundings of this country—it
2: makes it weird now. So wasn't that a particular guy who who made like a campaign? Uh, yes, to make that there happen?
0: were. If I'm remembering correctly, there used to be like local Columbus Day celebrations, and then it's in the '40s that it becomes like the actual big national celebration. I'm trying to remember—they
1: they, they cover it pretty good in the Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to them really watch this fails. That doesn't the, surprise me at all. There, there actually is. There, there is a. I mean, obviously, the show is amazing. You know, the characters and the, all of it. The episode where they they hear about the protests for against Columbus Day mm. that was being organized by a bunch of Native Americans. They go down there, like all the boys go down there to rough up the Native Americans. And they, of course, that's what they would do. That's what the characters are. And, you know, that's yeah. the story that's being told there. But the way it's handled in the show is, is really interesting. It, it really is commentary on the, the foundational reason why the Italian Americans need Columbus so badly, or rather, why they've built so much around needing Columbus so badly. And yeah. it has to do with, like you said, with this definition of whiteness. Yeah. Columbus is the, is the most famous white guy in the history of North America, you know, as far as they're concerned. And, yeah. you know, he made the whole thing happen. Anybody who's trying to take that away is a problem.
0: Yeah. 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 And I think like I have, I have friends in Italy who just like don't get it at all. Why the hell this is a thing? No one in Italy thinks about Columbus. Like, yes, he's Genoese, but he does everything for the King of Spain. Like, none of this has necessarily meaning to them. But it is like, it does take until the 30s and 40s for Italian Americans to become part of the kind of cultural community of whiteness. World War II does a great job of flattening out ethnic lines among white Europeans in America and bring them in, but it's still a contested category into that time period which groups belong in. And so The backlash around the removal of Columbus statues, um, which I am all in favor of because Columbus is a a mass murdering, terrible human. But I understand in historic Italian-American communities that actually have the memory of the time when they were outside of this. And when you have, I mean, like America has a lengthy history of anti-Catholicism. It has a lengthy history of violence towards specific immigrant groups that never goes away, right? I understand the kind of cultural connotations why you want to keep this. It's just he's a terrible icon for it. There are other greater Italian and Italian-American figures you could use. It just doesn't bind them into this story of, like, Italian-Americans have always been kind of the bedrock of America.
2: And even to the point of Catholicism, right up until the, the uh, JFK, there were there were uh, huge issues in the political campaign from him being Catholic. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and... Those feelings don't really go away. It's just people do or do not, like, voice them as openly as they did. So, like, I, I understand bits and pieces of that, but, like, the Prager University video doesn't actually care, right? The thing about Prager University, their point is not, we need to defend this because it's become an icon of kind of the acceptance of Italian Americans into into America. It's that, well, no, but no European has ever done anything wrong, it is the actual devaluing. And I mean, like let's let's be yeah. very honest with what Prager is doing. Prager is saying that um actually indigenous voice lives don't matter, right? Their Columbus yeah. video is making the argument that native lives don't matter. Their videos are very much selling a concept of white supremacist rhetoric in history, divorced from reality, to basically sell your lost cause narrative with more complexity and more words. Right. You want and, this vision of fun America. cartoons. Yeah. Right. You're, you are selling <laughs> propaganda to children. It's the idea that white Americans have always been the nicest people. Not anything that goes wrong. It was just, it was just the times. Let's not like pretend that we are somehow morally better and can learn from this. It is a very distinct rhetoric. It is history as a weapon. It's the stuff they accuse everyone else of doing, but they're, they're actively doing it
2: listen listen, Officer. Uh, as you can tell from the color of my skin, uh, I'm just a product of my time, so you you don't need to worry about what I was doing just over there that you want to arrest me for. yeah, well, I'm they, just a product of this time,
0: yeah, well, they're always you're always a product of your time, and that doesn't mean that you're not a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right the, I, I i do not fall into the category of people who are moral relativists who believe they're like well it's a different culture it's a different time period and we just need to excuse everything fine we want to understand but like no you don't have to forgive nazis for their crimes no you don't have to convince uh, to like forgive Confederate leaders for treason. No, you don't have to simply bat an eye on the fact that Puritans gleefully massacre their way through Native American villages and towns and then sell everyone into slavery after. You don't have to be okay with this. It doesn't diminish our country now to say that the crimes of the past are crimes. It diminishes us to say that we could not have done better.
2: Yeah, and and further just to erase it from memory, actively and deliberately.
0: Yes, which we uh, seem to be working very hard on doing. I don't know if you have looked at the AHA uh, jobs report for historians. It's um,
1: it's not great. Tell me about that. I don't. I don't. What What is it showing you? So the
0: American the American Historical Association looks at job trends and um, within the profession of history. And the thing that we keep discovering is that lines just keep getting cut. Entire fields of study do not have new jobs, which means they're going to be lost because you will not have a new generation teaching them. Um, For some of those fields of study, that's like we all know that the bit of medieval history or any kind of pre modern history we get in K through 12 is really thin snippets, right? You might get one world history class where you cover your generalized Western civ. You might get a little bit of like Egypt and Mesopotamia and Greece and Rome, and then somehow you're in like medieval Europe, and then now we're in the time period we actually want to talk about. It is really hard to understand modernity if you're not understanding early modernity. Uh, Early modernity and the late middle ages are, it's nonsense to distinguish them. And it keeps building off of things. We scaffold all of our ideas on the things that we learn beforehand. People are not making brilliant intuitive leaps. We're like, we just woke up one day and like, we're enlightened now. These things all have a history of how we get there. And by not teaching people basic history, you are leaving pop culture to fill the void. You are leaving bad actors to fill void. Um, you know, the European rhetoric that Europe used to be this pristine white Christian space that immigration is ruining does not have a basis in reality. But like it has a vibe, a white supremacist vibe that if you don't actually
2: teach real history are really easy to work with. Every time I hear somebody like Jordan Pearson talking about, oh, Western civilization is being destroyed, it, it, I immediately just fill in the blank, uh, of of when he says Western civilization, he means white Anglo-Saxon, yes, uh, or or at least Northern European. That's who he's talking about. Yes, that's the civilization that he wants to
1: preserve.
0: And what he wants to preserve is not the past. It's it's some mythical notion of what he thinks the '50s were like.
1: Yeah, right. There's this flattening. It's like it went from ancient Rome right to the 1950s. <laughs> yes. yes,
0: no, but I, I think I think it's that, right? I think I think that flattening is deliberate. You are building an artificial antiquity onto ideas that are your mythical nostalgia for an era before the civil rights act right because every time you're like man the 50s those are the good ones i hear what you're saying i hear what you're really saying whether or not you know it right you're saying you want black people in their place like just admit
1: that what you dream of is more racism you want to be able to make fun of every homosexual you encounter yes and drive out of the workforce but it would even be better if you never encountered them because they were so terrified that they just made themselves scarce and they didn't make – and then they weren't public in their in their identity. That That's what really – that's what people actually want.
0: Well, and they want women to stay at home and they don't want them to ever have a job that makes more money.
1: Take their credit cards and bank accounts away.
0: Right. It's, it's all of that. And like, I don't know how deliberately everyone is thinking to every aspect of that. But the people who are selling this mes- message that that was the good old days, they know what they're doing. It's like when and you're you- claiming the, all of these other periods, you're still just play <laughs> acting in this idea that like, oh, we don't mean the 1950s. This is not about – this is not about racism. Yeah, but it is. Like your vision of ancient Rome doesn't have anything to do with real ancient Rome. Real ancient Rome is a slave-based society. Just just say it. Just like put on the hood. starch up the point real good. Just accept who you are.
1: Accept what you're claiming here. It's bad. All right. This, this brings us right into – all right. How, how, how many times a week do you think about ancient Rome? Okay. So in my, in my defense,
0: between ancient world and medieval world, many times a week. I talk about and talk about and teach about Rome during the summer. Not at all.
1: <laughs> I think you should be exempt anyway, because, of, be, because of your career, I think uh, you should be exempt. Yeah.
0: No, but like, I think, I think it's interesting. Like, do I think about ancient Rome? Yes. Do I
1: think its fall was bad? No. There's a difference between do I think about ancient Rome and do I fantasize about ancient Rome? Because I think most of the time people are talking, they're answering the question about how often they think about it, but what they're really doing is fantasizing about it, mm. about being yeah. there and being, you know, and and living in, in some kind of like and and some kind of like fantastical way this ancient Roman life.
2: Yeah, Sean, I think what you're trying to say is that we romanticize it. Oh, perhaps. Oh, that is, that is peak dad joke. I love everything about
0: that. that
1: was beautiful. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I really don't know. He, he listen, has I'm going to use this against cringy, my
2: kids. Yeah. Like, later, cringiest,
1: cringiest jokes. Oh, it's, it's beautiful.
2: I, it was just sitting on the table. It was just there for the take. It
0: wasn't it on my picked, table. Picked, picked it up and just handed <laughs> off. Oh, it's great. No, I actually, I am more likely to fantasize about aspects of living in Rome that I am to think about in any meaningful way, because there are bits and pieces about the idea of ancient Rome. I love, I just don't think it's the ideas they do, right? Like I I love the idea of a road that gets repaired immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I love that. Now, do I immediately realize that like the labor that allows this to make possible is not so I want? Yeah, absolutely. Like I love the idea of aqueducts. They're beautiful. I'd love to see the buildings. Cause when I, when I do research <laughs> in Southern France, like some of the best surviving architectural examples of, Roman architecture are in Southern France. The only fully intact Roman temple is in uh, Nîmes in Southern France, where I've done like research for my dissertation. And it's, it's really a gorgeous cool. structure. I'd like to see the buildings painted, though. What, what I want is what I want is to see the things that we have actually lost. I want to see the paintings on the buildings. Mm-hmm. I want to see these statues painted in form.
2: It's so fascinating to me, the, the fascist uh, uh, reinterpretation of Roman existence, I guess, or, yeah. or society... Uh, where where this um, minimalism mm. that was such a heavy part of fascist aesthetic and uh, um, and art mm. that ultimately was in part just because of a lack of awareness of that there was paint yeah it's just all white now yeah uh, and so this this idea of having all these white pillars and things like that I mean we we even see it in in the United States in in its Imitation yes. of of Roman architecture. It's virtually yeah. worldwide. They weren't. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't white. They weren't white. No. It's just faded over time. Yeah. But I really. I mean, what, what have the Romans ever done for us? Well, there were the aqueducts. <laughs> yeah.
0: No. I mean, like oh, and the roads. Uh, listen. I I love uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend a week in Rome to experience it and then leave and never go back. I don't want to recreate the Roman empire. That's a terrible idea. We talk about like the Renaissance on of the five good Roman emperors, like, when you give it a number, it says something about all the rest of them. It says that afterwards it goes to shit really <laughs> quickly, right? I, I, do not, I do not want to recreate any aspect of Rome. I do not want massive slave-based plantation economies anymore. No, thank you. Like, we keep having this conversation and ending it with violence, and this is one of those times I think violence is very justified. Destroy slavery everywhere you can. But like, I'd love to see the painted columns. I'd love to see the way the cities look. I'd love to hear the way the cities sound. I'd love to smell the markets and get a taste of the food and get the experience of the fact that real people lived in these empires who have a day-to-day life and an experience outside of ours. And what the people who are thinking about Rome mean is like, God, why don't we have legions anymore? Why aren't men, manly men who stab people with short swords? When did we stop building things like this? (laughs) why don't I get to watch people stab each other to death for my amusement while I um, eat charred meat? I like, I don't
2: know. Notably none of, none of the architecture uh, was built by aliens. uh, It seems according to, to a lot of, a lot of these theorists. If we
0: ever got an ancient aliens episode that was like, listen, people in medieval Europe, too primitive to build cathedrals must have been aliens. I would almost forgive the concept of ancient aliens as it is. It's a white (laughs) tool. Diminish the achievements of people of color. But like, if you could just be like, Europeans, too primitive. White, white people are, have always been too primitive to build a building this tall. I, I, give it, I give it a week before I got mad at it again and went back to pointing
1: out that, like, ancient aliens is nonsense. Or just the Parthenon or the Colosseum.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, and these are buildings that are, like, exquisite buildings, but, like, also make no sense unless you actually deal with the reality of the ground. So, like, you're like, oh, well, you couldn't, like, move a statue on logs into place. That is too much. But but like white people can well white is such a fascinating concept to apply to Romans but like this is the way we think about it right um, but they could build like a mechanized death stadium yeah this is why ancient aliens is nonsense is that we never actually have this episode
1: we don't get that one yeah no yeah no, no, we don't oh, get that the one. way that they, they they used to flood it so they could have a they could have a mock naval battle in the Colosseum yeah, I mean there are yeah. some obviously I I have to admit I think about Rome I, I do. I watch video clips of, of the construction of the aqueducts and how water was transported th- hundreds of miles. And the, you know, there, there, was, there was a little spot where they allowed it to, to fill in and let, the, and let the silt filter out. It would all mm. settle at the bottom so that clear water would, get, would flow past that point. This is amazing mm. stuff to me. I am also amazed by a lot of other places and times and peoples. Yeah. I'm very interested in those things too, but it's really just history in general that I think about. Yeah. So Rome probably doesn't figure in once a week, but it figures in because it was such a an enormous center of gravity for things mm-hmm. for such a long time yeah. for terrible reasons. That yes. it was it, it attained that position yeah. by doing horrible things to people,
0: and, and I think that's that's the crux of it. Like the idea that men are constantly thinking about Rome. The implication is that what you're thinking about is how great those terrible things are, right? Like, it's not like asking me, am I thinking about uh, Antonia Kynas, the secretary uh, and slave who becomes, if, if not the full wife of Vespasian, is like at least a common law wife of Vespasian. I think about that sometimes right i think about the episodes where like you can have a roman emperor from libya who ends up uh, on the in the northern reaches of york and there's an ethiopian legionary commander there and like the fact that you have a network of people moving all around europe like i think about the fact that we have a surviving letter from one of the towns on hadrian's wall where like someone inv- a woman is inviting friends to her birthday party Right? like I do think about things involving Rome. I just don't think any of those things are what they mean when they ask the question. Are men constantly thinking about Rome as if we are somehow primitive violent cretans who the only thing we're capable of thinking of like what if we could do more violence. And that says very little about like Rome. It says an awful lot about the perception of men in ways that I think suck.
2: Well, I mean it's it's really just the recreation of the of the dopey dad in, in sitcoms. Yep. Uh or or, or yes. the idiot boyfriend in sitcoms. Yes. Where oh, all I can think about is sports ball. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. there's probably more nuance that we could have added to this character. Yeah, but they don't want to add
0: that nuance because it allows no. you to make this really negative perception of all of the characters on gendered lines and allows you to fill in like whatever particular grievance you want on any given day. So you can all be mad at different parts of your own extended family on any given day while sitting together. And I think the problem is that those, <laughs> those yeah. models give these kind of like horrific, like MRA people like Andrew Tate and stuff like that grounds to sell a grievance mongering narrative, also divorced from reality. Like, no, you're, you real manly men is one who's constantly like uh, abusing women and engaging in like preparation for violence. And like the notion of being masculine is one where like you should have dominion over people and it's like it's the bad like biblical patriarchy shit it's the bad advice jordan peterson gives it's the bad ideology of andrew tate the idea that like men must be constantly preparing and thinking about violence
2: speaking of 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 tate and uh peterson and musk while we're on the subject all of them are right now rushing to the defense of russell brand i think that says an Uh, awful lot about them yeah yeah, and not a good
1: look for russell brand no he also makes him look these guys (laughs) Right. It makes him look worse that those people are coming to help him.
0: Yeah. No, I just like – you. it's actually really simple. You don't actually have to defend the people you know in your life who are accused of sexual assault and violence. You can just like quietly shut the fuck up and go home. Yeah. It's that easy. It really is. Also, these people don't know him, presumably, and what they do know is like, oh, a man has been accused of these things. by accusing these things, I mean like – he keeps writing about his like generally sexual violent tendencies in his own autobiography, right? Like you don't have to come defend him. Does he get to be presumed innocent in guilty in a court of law? Sure. In the court of opinion, public opinion, we don't have to give him that. Like there have been enough allegations over enough time that like the guy's
2: rotten. It's, it's with Louis CK. When, when uh, he got into the scandal for uh, jerking off in front of people, it was at that point that we all looked at his previous specials where he talked about jerking off a ton in every special. And we said, yeah, that kind of makes sense. He didn't deny it for what it's worth, but, yes. but it was like, it, it, it was, it was definitely one of those, Oh, yeah. Now all those bits kind of make a little bit of sense because he was totally jerking off.
0: Do you you ever just think that, like, all of these moments that maybe we should, like, listen to what people are saying about themselves and take it seriously at the time? Like, we're all (laughs) laughing along to this. Like, maybe we should stop after, like, dude, therapy. Like, for God's sake, therapy,
1: (laughs) atonement, make any other life choice. It seems to be related to what you were talking about before when we were talking about Prager you. There's this, like, effort of, fantasy as well as confession
0: mm.
1: all the things that they're they're talking about they're the things that they're actually doing yeah that's what's really that's what's driving this you know is like it, it, all of this attacking of stuff of these things yep. is really just them wanting to be able to freely go out and do whatever they want yeah yeah you mentioned men's rights activists in general like you know with andrew tate as a good example of that that He really just wants to run around and, and, and just do whatever he wants. Yes. I mean, that's, that's his problem. He doesn't like to be told no. Yes. All of the stuff that like that has been built up around that, all of the argumentation, all this rhetoric, and especially from somebody like Peterson is all about just being able to, to just for a person to just go do what they want.
0: Yes. Um, divorced from any kind of morality or concerns for others or like consent and things like that. Um, I mean, it all. the the thing that's kind of awful is that all of this is all linked because the the behavior you're doing, this kind of indoctrinating behavior, is an attempt to reach a very specific audience, which is unfortunately lonely, disaffected young men to try to bring them into these movements. Have either of you read um, Camilla Shamsi's Home Fire?
1: I haven't, no. I have not, no. It's
0: one of my favorite novels. It's like one of my top five favorite novels of all time, and I'm teaching it right now. Among the other things that it does is it deals with the indoctrination process by which a young um, British boy of Pakistani descent gets indoctrinated, gets basically groomed into ISIS, right? And the process by which the recruiter um, builds a rapport, creates a false link to his father, becomes family brings him into a community that talks about all kinds of things, but a heavy dose of misogyny along the way before radicalizing him in other things like the notion that the history that you know is false and belittling your real cultural identity and heritage. And it's a ploy by this other group that hates you to diminish your kind of special status in the world to denigrate the women in his life as holding him back, that you are a, a special man with a special mission and then eventually leads him to like leaving for rocket and it's fiction, but it's this process of the description of which you lead people astray from reality and morality by building an air of community for people who feel fundamentally adrift. And it's not about excusing the actions of the fictional character or excusing the actions of people who join extremist groups. But there's a reason why so much is put into telling people that like, hey, you are part of this group and you have never done anything wrong and everyone is against you. Is part of building a narrative to convince people that, no, you are under attack by these people who are bad people. And eventually you get to the point that you can justify all kinds of shit by be like, these are the oppressive forces that are holding you back, whether or not it's real. Yeah. And that hits a lot of buttons when we talk about contemporary politics and extremist movements and extremist groups within religions. But like, it's really hard to be young in most periods, but it feels really bleak right now, right? You, you look at the news and climate change is accelerating. And like, I get that there are some people who for some reason don't believe it's real or man-made, but like, it's bad out there. The economy is doing better, but hasn't really made up for the fact that 2007, 2008 is a huge gaping hole in the future prosperity of, you know, an entire generation. There are all of these things that you can look at like, you're right, something is going deeply wrong. And rather than deal with structural reasons for why this is happening, which require changing your aspirations and dreams and the systems that we live in, it's like, well, it's because the enemy is holding you back. And if you just destroy them well enough, prosperity can reign. And, um, I gotta be honest, like it all feels like, uh, it, it all feels a bit Nazi-ish
2: to me. Right, these are the internal enemies holding you down in Weimar Germany in the 30s. The enemy may as well be be demons or spirits. Oh yeah, because it doesn't even matter what it is whether whether it's 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 the the communists are coming to take over or the terrorists who don't look like you and they speak a, a language that you don't understand, yeah. and uh, uh, and uh, maybe it's the immigrants and may, whatever whatever the enemy is, it may as well just be ghosts in the bushes. Yeah because it doesn't fucking matter. It's not real.
1: It's straight out of Umberto Eco's ur fascism the way that he describes the enemy and that there's it's simultaneously too degenerate to survive but also mm. too powerful to you know to, to or so powerful that it can destroy you. And, and that's, that's, that's that's the that's this this tension that the the this idea of the enemy always uh, where, where this idea of the enemy always remains is back and forth between, you know, like how degenerate it is and how powerful it is. Yeah. Uh,
2: well, that that's why the whole antisemitism thing has to play into most of this white supremacy and the rest of the conspiracy theories. It's, it's a necessary component because if you have uh, all of these darker skinned people who, uh, who you're portraying as, lazy and shiftless and, and and the rest of it and they believe the wrong things and their their religion is is devil worshipping but at the same time you need somebody who's really in charge who who does have the capacity and Jewish people fit the bill because they at least have the complexion of whiteness yeah. uh, in many cases not always uh, but but for the for this narrative to work yeah they're a white but not quite white. And they're the ones who are in, tra- in charge of black people and indigenous people and immigrants and the rest of it. That is a necessary component for this paradox to live with itself, to to exist. And yeah. that's why sem- anti-Semitism just keeps coming back. It's it's such a low hanging. I think, fruit, anyways, right?
0: It's such a low hanging fruit that you don't have to come up with your new arguments. You simply recycle all of the vile arguments that have been generate over centuries, and like the problem is that like we associate anti-Semitism with Nazis, but it is so widespread in Europe and America in the first half of the twentieth century, nineteenth century, further and further back that like you don't have to pair it explicitly Nazi lines. You can say all of the same things coming from other people's rhetoric in ways that like should concern us deeply. But because there's so much baggage there, like you just keep recycling ideas to make large scale arguments. For me, it's like, you know, every time you say Soros back, you're just you're just doing a quiet anti-Semitism, right? Like, yeah, it, it's it's just such low hanging fruit, like all of the complaints that Musk has about the ADL
1: scaring yeah. away things. Like,
0: you're just you're just <laughs> doing <their> anti-Semitism, right?
1: <laughs> I think what we're talking about, though, the people we're talking about are those. these are Bill Cooper's bad Jews. These aren't the good ones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, oh, God. It's actually real. So I, did, I didn't I did actually believe it was real, but um, Musk's tweet yesterday, the Soros organization appears to want nothing less than the destruction of Western civilization. There it is. That's real. And would you care to guess how many words that is? Oh, is it 14? Oh, it's 14 words. Yeah, it's, it's 14 Oh, words. no. Oh,
2: creepy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, no, it's
0: not good. It's not good. You've just, you've hit all, you've hit all the buttons, right? You have done your anti Semitic dog whistle. It's not even really much of a dog whistle anymore.
1: It's not a dog whistle anymore.
0: Megaphone, right? Everyone knows what you're saying and you're shouting it out and you're very clear about what you mean. And like playing around with making sure it was 14 words long is a nice little knot. And like, yes, I understand conceptually. Maybe he just got there. We don't believe that.
2: This is, this is the troll. We don't have to give him too much benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we really
1: don't. We really, really, really don't. It's not even a coincidence with Musk that things have turned this direction. He just had a meeting with Erdogan.
0: No, it's not a coincidence at all.
1: Where where he told Erdogan, I guess he was asked, where's your wife? And he said, we're, we're not together anymore. That's why I'm caring for my son. <laughs> Do we live in hell? Is this, is this hell? And we just like miss the bar, we died. You're the person to answer this question, Thomas. If anybody can, you are the one to answer this question. <laughs> Not about living in hell. No, I mean, oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I, you, you can't answer that <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I'm really glad. It's like, oh
0: man, here's where I get in trouble for theological statements. I have no business making. Okay. <laughs>
2: I, 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 was, I was thinking it was either theology or, or uh, the, the things you put yourself through as a teacher.
1: <laughs> I wasn't sure. No, that is not the question. <laughs> That's a good one, though, that you could answer. My, the, the question I have in mind is, has it ever really been different? Mm. That is an excellent question. And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously it manifests differently in and, and this yeah. time and place with yeah. the, the just the population density alone, yeah. but then add in all the technology and all the history, remembering these past periods.
0: None of it's none of it's new, right? It comes in waves and it comes in new flavors. History doesn't repeat itself. I, I like the pithy saying history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. That's not true either. It's that people don't change that quickly. Circumstances change, technology changes. We are still upright semi-hairless apes who have propensity for murder and conspiratorial thinking. Elon Musk is not new and special, right? He's he's Henry Ford if you built a useless product.
1: <laughs> and that, that's a big difference between the two of them is that Henry Ford actually built something that people wanted and used.
0: Yeah. And, and so like, I mean, it, it's it's that kind of model. But Henry Ford also was a raging, virulent anti-Semite, right? Um, the, the people who are propagating these like Crazy ideas about the way we should genetically engineer humans, like I'm sorry, like eugenists, eugenicists in the United States are all winning, are all getting honorary doctorates from Nazi universities because of the pioneering work they did in like forced sterilization. Let's not pretend that things are new, and that's just the 20th century. And you can go back, and these these ideas have lengthy, violent histories because we keep recycling the worst impulses. The thing is that we we have to keep hoping that things can get better
1: that's not new either no in the worst periods and the with the surrounding the worst events that we can imagine there yeah. were there were people who wanted it to be better and worked to make it better
0: yeah so like this is this is the thing right like we we can look at all of the worst moments of history and focus on how bad it is and we should because we would love to learn lessons from this but we also have to point out the fact that there is always resistance to atrocity hope has to spring eternal. It's the way you get out of bed in the morning. It's the way you keep fighting. It's the way you enact change that saves the greatest number of people you can, right? You never actually return to the past. History does not repeat itself. You are not going to magically cyclically come around to the good old days. That never happened. You have to fight like hell to craft the good old days in the future because they were never real. Right. Uh, you can focus on the rise of the Nazi party and you should, and you should look at how this happens, but you have to deal with the fact that you had movements like the White Roses that died for their beliefs in opposition to them. People resist and you need to emphasize the resistance as much as you emphasize the atrocity because you have to fight back. Right. I don't think it's the wor- This is not the worst it's ever been it's it's unfortunate it's not the worst it's ever been it's definitely not the worst it's ever been it's that we want to see a better future and so moments like this where the the rising power of the kind of i don't know the the, the counter-revolution if you will is always there demanding that no nothing can change nothing can improve everything has to be the same racist filth it's always been of course you have a massive backlash but you have to keep fighting you have to fight it and you have to defeat it and you have to keep going right I, I love i love the arc like the what is it the um the arc of the universe is long by i believe it bends towards justice is a lovely quote using theodore parker but like theodore parker organized a committee to help escaped enslaved people get to canada the lobby damned and help fund john brown like right like you bend it you take the yeah. arc of the universe and you bend it you bend it by force till justice and then when it springs back you fucking bend it again and again over and over and over generation after generation to affect positive change again and again and again.
2: I think there are two determinist sorts of tellings of, of history that are probably some of the more popular understandings of history. Uh, uh one is, is, uh, not exclusive to, to Marxism, but, uh, but you know, the, the historical, uh, or, um, historical materialism and, and, or dialectical materialism, uh, where it's, we're going to, we're going to be in the, the slave stage. And then we're going to be in this stage and then we're going to get the socialism stage. And and this, this sort of idea that uh, by the contradictions of, of uh, man's relation humans, humans relation to, to labor, you're going to, you're going to eventually get to communism no matter what you do. Yeah. And I think that that's one form of kind of optimistic determinism. Yeah. Then you also have the other kind, which is that, uh, well, it's always been like this. Things have always been terrible and people are, are brutish and horrible. And uh, that's just the, the nature of human mm-hmm. beings. And so there's nothing you could do about it. So just uh, try to get a raise next year yeah. if you can.
0: You're, you're uh, uh, Thomas Hobbes as applies to history instead of politics. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 I think that, that both of them do not really do a great job of inspiring uh, the actual activity to enact change, yeah. which is that uh, every given moment we have to fight for uh, uh, justice and and something that is is better yes. for for ourselves and and uh, and everybody else, and that that kind of determinism, either the first one or the second one, doesn't really lend itself super well to the like. Well, if it we're going to get to communism in some number of generations, anyways, what? you know, I'll, I'll just join the party and then, and then call it a day. But that doesn't, that doesn't really uh, uh, translate into acting with the urgency of
1: today yeah. for today. And, and yeah. none of that accounts for the, the need to, I mean, one is that there's this kind of um, that expression fight for these things is often meant is often taken in such a literal fashion. I, I, I see it much more like you, you, we need people out there in the world simply living their values. Yes. You just go out there and just live your values. You be those values out in the world and let people know that you have these values. That has a cumulative effect. Yes. You know, they're like that's the kind of thing that can build a center of gravity. And even if you're not the one that has this spark of inspiration to do something uh, in a more dramatic fashion. It creates an environment collectively for that spark to take place, for that spark to catch, and yeah. you you might find yourself as you know a willing helper to the person who has the the imagination to pull something off.
2: Yeah, and even even I would probably say there's a subcategory of some of those deterministic thoughts about history and and the progression in society is is the idea of like almost like mile markers or goalposts <laughs> that. Once we pass them,
1: we've passed them, Never so go we're back. good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, history as a ratchet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's, it's kind
2: of relate, related to that sort of like end goal, you know, Marxist telling of, of, of history. Yeah. Um, that, that uh, I mean, for, for example, I'm thinking of when I say that LGBTQ plus rights that were won in the United States over the last couple of decades, uh, going from... uh, 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 in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, we, we just make fun of gays. That's, that's just how that works. Everything is gay.
0: I look back on the nineties and like the things that we said and did and laughed about, I feel such incredible shame.
2: It's, it's, it's pretty cringy. Like when you, when you watch like Seinfeld doing like fat shaming and stuff like that, it's like, Oh, I forgot with our, our, our popular way of speaking has shifted quite a bit which is a nice way of recognizing the actual
0: progression of where we are. It's like that part actually feels very different and good.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then I think that, that when we look at things where, where uh, 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 the right to marriage, for example, Mm -hmm. um, and and a number of other things, and then we're looking at what's been happening in the last couple of years uh, with, with the incredible amounts of, of transphobia and uh and just attacking lgbtq people Mm -hmm. in general yeah and and i think that what we're seeing is is so much more mask off than it even was in like the aughts it's just now instead instead of now now they're just coming right on saying oh no we hate gay people they're all they're all uh terrible and 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 anybody who's rainbow colored is no good yeah. And they're very mask off about it. Yeah. And then when you ask them about it, they say, Oh, no, no, no. It's just we don't like the groomers pedophiles with the children. And it's like Though what even, are you talking about? That's that, the Baptist that's the church. That's violence. that's the Catholic church. Yeah. Again, it's that's, it, that's doing the
1: confession the, and the fantasy again. Yeah. You know, yeah, like we, yeah. we hate the thing that we want to do yeah well and i I
0: think what it really comes down to is that rhetoric that rhetoric is the most powerful and easy tool to whip up the mod in justification of violence right i think i think that using that is like oh no we don't mean all of them we mean x and y i actually think that is even more mascot it's like hey hey we're gonna live in a fantasy land because what we're trying to provoke is actual violence we don't want to do the violence ourselves because then there are consequences we want someone else to. and this is this is libs of tiktok's entire motif it's that I'm going to say outrageous things and then I'm going to dox the fuck out of the people I'm saying these things about. And I'm just raising concerns. God forbid the bomb threats
1: against children's hospitals. I never it said to it. go shoot somebody.
0: Yeah. I never, I never said it What I said that they were, they were a groomer who were murder, who were like butchering children. And I told you their exact address.
1: Like I didn't tell you what to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, this, this is why RICO laws were, were created. I mean, that, that was the whole point. Is that uh, you're? If you're smart enough, you're going to have plausible deniability for everything that you say. Yeah. Meanwhile, a bunch of fucking maniacs commit all sorts of atrocities, and hey, you're innocent because you never explicitly said to do any of that. Well, and we didn't put a little disclaimer after your TikTok that
1: says I don't endorse doing this. You're specifically describing some of the charges against Trump.
2: Oh yeah! <laughs> that's,
0: that's, no, I mean, this is this is the entire like if your entire argument is that no rational person would listen to you, like who? that's yeah, right. A, that's a hell of an
1: argument. You'd have to be crazy <laughs> to pay attention to what I'm saying. And, and yet, we are right.
0: So it's the interesting thing, right? Because you have a multiplicity of layers. Some people are just engaging in outright calls for violence with the thin line of deniability, like, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying these people are subhuman monsters who are butchering children, like, just asking questions, man, just putting it out there. You know, what every good red blooded American does with that information is none of my business. You have people who are basically just really overtly riding that line of stochastic terrorism. And then you have others who who, who are just like, you know, dreaming about uh, authoritarian regimes, right? So Vivek
1: Ramaswamy, Let's, let's talk about contemporary politics. Okay? All right. Hey, here we go. See, on Wet Wired, our guests do the segues for us.
0: Yeah, well, listen, your, your guests have so many things to be mad about that, like, we're just figuring out which one we're going to be angry about now. So, like, I did not take Ramaswami seriously. And uh, I love the dream where I get to continue not doing that. But, like, this is where we are, so I can't do that. But he was just asking questions about 9-11. I don't remember the exact rhetoric that he used. But it was something about just, like, the gov- clearly the government needs to release more information about it. It's like, there is no point in time where you have to, like, just got to hand it to a 9-11 truther. There, I've never met an entire category of people that I despise quite so, like, immediately, clearly, and then, like, unthinkingly. I don't I don't analyze. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to debate it. I don't want to research it. I just hate you. And I feel really comfortable <laughs> with my hatred, and I just – I move on. But I made, like, a comment – I made a comment on Twitter – made a comment on Twitter. What was I thinking? I got someone in my inbox emailing me, asking me to respectfully reconsider like my role as a government propagandist for what is clearly a pack of lies about what happened on 9-11.
1: <laughs> you should know better than to participate in a CIA op.
0: <laughs> I, mean, like, 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 I understand that your school takes government money and you might not have a choice, but like, you should join the opposition. Like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> My sweet, my sweet, gentle bunny, oh you do God. not
0: know the wolf's den you are wandering into here. And so I, like, I, I, have, I, have, I have a folder. I have a folder for the weird voicemails. I have a folder for the weird emails. I just put it in and I walked away. I thought, all right, these are the kinds of people who are responding when you call around with like, Raswami. Maybe I should pay attention, which is a problem because every time you pay attention, it's, um, it's like little shop of horrors. If it were like actually just like a nightmare factory instead of like a delightful musical right? Like, sit for president <laughs> before Vivek Ramaswamy. Like, at least he's just eating one person at a time, minding his own business. And I'm just like, if you're under 25, maybe you can't vote.
1: What? The- um, unless you pass a civics test. <laughs> or join the military. Written or, by or- have university, of course. Right, that we're going to design. <laughs> I want to, I want to make a comment. One second. Like I want to, before we get too much further along, I also want to like make a concession that I didn't take him seriously either. And I, like I even made comments in an earlier episode about how, you know, it was a sort of um, like a a jokey, uh, like a, a jokey standard I was applying that he just isn't weird enough. You know, he's singing, he's, he's singing Eminem covers at his, at his event in an, in Iowa, you know, a few weeks ago. And like, that's not weird enough. That's doesn't, that's not strange enough. It's the, like, you need like, like Lindsey Graham being a closeted homosexual. You need how ha- you need, um, you need to have Trump loving show tunes and complaining about what people wear at the Oscars. You know, like you need, like, you need so like a really strange streak or, or something bizarre in your history. Like, um, mm-hmm. DeSantis was an accessory to the torturers in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, you, you need something like that. Or Tim Scott with his like strange celibacy thing that he's never really uh, openly walked back. And Ramaswamy just seemed like a douchey tech guy. Yes. He seemed way too common, but it occurred to me that the Hindu thing, that that to me just seems like, oh yeah, so he happens to be a Hindu. There's nothing nothing really odd to me about that. I don't have any problem electing somebody who's a practicing Hindu as a president. That's not a disqualifying thing to me. It's not strange at all, but to the people he's talking to, that is the weird thing. And it's what he does, <laughs> yeah. with, it, right?
0: it's what he does with it. And what that reveals about his entire conception, right? Yes. So like, Ramaswamy's entire game is just um, fascist accelerationism. Like, yeah. and, what, and what he does is he does it in the most normal, boring ways possible. Right. Like that, I think that's really his thing. Cause like, DeSantis has the charisma of a wet paper bag, right? Not even, not even like not enough to get out of it. Like, no, no, he just has the charisma of a wet paper bag. And it's, it's interesting watching him in videos where he's just, he's, he's flubbing like easy opportunities, right? Because like, there are many problems with the idea that Iowa should determine the next president of the United States. I live here, right? Um, and it does not reflect- Hey kid, that, that, a that has a lot
2: of sugar in it.
0: <laughs> Ooh. It's so, like the thing that Iowa does, the one thing I'll give Iowa credit for is that like The traditional circuit is putting you in conversation on camera with just like normal people all the time. And so like, it's, can you fake being a human in a room in like hour long increments? And it's a really low bar, right? These people are all coming to see you. They want to talk to you because the way caucus events work, like not all of them are open events. Like you're bringing the people who are most likely to be responsive to you and then just like make small talk like a normal person like i'm sorry like tim tim scott like grilling pork chops at the iowa state fair that's what that's what the caucus is Can that's what think- wins that caucus Well, <laughs> yeah, like, i don't think it does anymore i think money and like i think money and fame wins that caucus and i think that's why the caucus is breaking down is that you had a moment where someone like barack obama could just like upstart like overturn what people's expectations were by being like really charming in the room and now I think a lot of it's like people are so concerned about winning and like getting the candidates to go with national election that you just pick safe car targets. But what like you're doing when you're doing these barbecues, when you're flipping portraits, like, I'm sorry, can you perform suburban dad? Can you wear an apron? Can you make small talk? Can you crack jokes while drinking beer, flipping your thing? It's It's like the would you have a beer with them test, but like for like nine months. Can you perform normalcy to give the veneer of being a relatable person who understands what the average American's life is like? And like we all know it's bullshit, right? We all know it's bullshit. And I think everyone here in Iowa knows it's bullshit too, right? But the role is – Can you spend enough time doing this performance art to actually hear what people in dying small towns are saying about the fact that our small towns are dying, about the fact that medium-sized family farms are collapsing, about the fact that manufacturing jobs in some places are going away, about the fact that demographic decline in certain regions is not being made up for by immigration, or people are mad about immigration, or all the bullshit that people are mad about in culture wars, crap. You are seeing if over the course of this
2: caucus, you can perform being a person. And DeSantis keeps fucking it up, right? Well, he, I mean, it's not in his programming. Uh, They they haven't updated. And
0: we (laughs) joke, but like, it feels like that, right? So like the thing that Ramaswamy is doing, Ramaswamy feels really normal, which is actually his entire thing. I'm going to give him credit for that. What he's doing is he's platforming the kind of, far-right authoritarianism that we laugh about with DeSantis because like DeSantis keeps passing super authoritarian laws he is making Florida into like the hungry of the south but like you put him in a room full of actual people and he just flubs it right he is passing all the bills but he can't talk it in a way that sounds human Ramaswamy is advocating for shit that like DeSantis would not even go for
2: right it is it is screaming a fascism in Florida there's this there's this map um I I forget her name right now. Um, but but this, uh, really great uh, uh person who who covers trans issues, uh, she made a a this map of like dangerous states and good states uh, for for trans adults and also another one another map for trans youth. Hmm. Florida has its own color because it's so bad. Yeah, yeah for yeah. trans people. And uh, I wanted to ask you, by the way, uh. Have have either of you seen uh, Ramaswamy's new TikTok uh, uh, in the car account? Yeah. So the no, best part is this sounds he's, awful. he's getting it's very bad and he's just getting demolished. I mean, in the comments, uh, So in the comments. So people are ratioing him uh, where where they're always they're, they're all saying um, I edge to you. Thousands of them that say I edge to you. Uh, which for anybody who doesn't know what that means, it's it's what you think about when you don't want to come. And he's just getting ratioed in all of his comments because he's on the app that is primarily known for for Gen Z. Mm. And he's the guy who says, ah, yeah, but what if you didn't vote until 25? Yeah, okay, yeah. He should have never gotten on the app for his own sake. He
0: should have for his own sake, but it's a, it's an interesting moment to see where the consequences are. I mean, the thing is, like, you're right, he's totally normal except for the Hindu thing. And so like, we've now had a couple of articles, um, there was one in Slate at the end of last month, about the way that he is engaging with evangelical Christians about the fact that he is Hindu. And he's using Modi as
2: this. He uses the word God in a generic way that if you didn't already know that he was Hindu, mm-hmm. you'd think he was talking about the, the Christian evangelical God. Yes.
0: He does do it very deliberately. So like, I, I think that, you know, I did treat him as a joke. But there are bits and pieces of the way he's going about fascist accelerationism that are quite clever. One of it is he never denies his religion, but he also talks about it in the most muted way possible. It's the using Modi as a link. And I think that this is actually the most clever thing he's done is that like he uses Modi – Modi the
2: fascist in, Modi in, the in fascist India. Modi the fascist
0: in India who um, is platforming, screaming Hindu, uh, Hindutva, this kind of Hindu nationalism that is – an aggressive vision of India as a purely Hindu state in opposition to these ethnic minority, to these ethnic and racial and religious minorities, especially anti-Muslim. It's especially the anti-Muslim violence of Modi's government. And I think, I think that's the link he's making. So he claims very overtly that he wants to do something like this in the United States. But what he does is that he says our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. He is arguing that because he's embracing Modi, he's actually a great avatar for Christian nationalists because he believes in the idea of Christian nationalism while not being Christian. India is a Hindu country, and we need to do everything we can to support Modi in making it a Hindu country. Great. America is a Christian country. Let's do everything we can to make it the most aggressively Christian country. And despite the fact that I don't share your religion. I share your ultra nationalist vision. And that I don't think it will work because Trump is going to get the nomination.
1: But in another in another campaign where you didn't have Trump, a figure like Trump there, yep. I see this now that I and I did not see it a couple of weeks ago, that Ramaswamy could find himself well in front of this pack. Without Trump, again, this would be this is just a hypothetical. And we can move on from Ramaswamy. In an environment and a campaign without Trump, if Ramaswamy could thread that needle like like Trump has, has threaded about basically being this, you know, this broken vessel of God's will, if Ramaswamy could do something like that, that, yes, I am not one of you, but God is acting through me. And if he could pull that off, then that could do it because that's the same rationalization that the evangelicals have been using since they've become a political force. You know, like since focus on the family and things like that, they've, wow. they, they, uh, politicians have been, have, have been trying to figure out that formula to be able to get the evangelical support without being evangelical or so evangelical. You know, yeah. the only one who's actually was had some sort of evangelical background was George W. And who knows how real that even was, but he at least owned it in a public kind of way, yeah. being a born again Christian. Yeah. Nobody else has done that everybody else is you know they're Presbyterian they're Lutheran they're Catholic there's something you know they nobody else has owned that but they've still gotten the support yeah. and this would just be pushing that envelope even further
0: well I, I don't know I was looking at like the the way the polling is going and like it is still early days there's lots of go Trump has an untouchable lead yeah DeSantis is very clearly second
2: well he's he's, dro- he's, he's dropped uh, he's
0: dropped dropped significantly but he's still quite clearly in second for now yeah. Ramaswamy is is the one of the pack of everyone else who is starting like is in at the moment third. Yeah, that is wild to me, and yeah. um, I actually find really worrisome because again the things that separate him out from everyone else are he is younger and he is more overt in the way that he wants to restrict other people's freedoms than the rest of them are, and I find yeah, and- that a terrifying combination.
1: And you know something we talked about before we before we started the episode is. You know, I was making the the comment that Ramaswamy is essentially pulling the bulk of his platform from the 2025 project that's being promoted by the Heritage Foundation, created and promoted by the Heritage Foundation. This is essentially a presidency in a box. Regardless of the candidate get, that gets brought into office, you just take all of these all of these instructions and open it up in the Oval Office, and that's going to be the playbook for how we're going to, you know, rule the rule the nation for a thousand years. I like, I like you saying it that way. That's, that's the one, right? That's, that's what it is. Paraphrasing, obviously a lot of stuff, but specifically Steve Bannon, who said Republicans in charge for a hundred years or something like that, you know, which has obvious connection to all of this sort of third Reich fantasy that they, that a lot of these people have. They just say
0: open in their chapter on the department of education First sentence says, ultimately, the Federal Department of Education
1: should be eliminated. Gone. And if you look at Ramaswamy's site and you look at the, in the I think, the change section on his website, it shows you, it has little graphics of each of major governmental departments and the proposed restructuring of them. And the Department yeah. of Education is just eliminated in, in its section. It just, it just does not exist anymore, which I yeah. assume is going to be just farmed out to individual states or and, and it's all part of a project so, just to get rid of public education in, in, in its entirety. There, there is, the whole thing is just an extension of this decades-long effort to privatize it, not, but not for ideological reasons. They, they make an argued ideological fight, but this is all about money. This is, a, this is just a, a, another arm of the same campaign to privatize correctional facilities. Yeah. There's no real reason to take that away from states. Yeah, it's a hassle to run things. It's a government. You're supposed to run shit. You know, that's that was until very recently just part of the government that you ran. The correctional system. But they figure out a way to convince them, like, let, let's let us take that off your hands. You can just pay us yeah. money. Yeah. And god
2: damn it, if the Heritage Foundation and and Alec and the rest of the lot are not just fucking always behind every horrific yep. idea or 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 politician or campaign. Or law. Yeah. I mean, every time we we dive down the rabbit hole, we keep seeing the fucking Heritage Foundation. Yeah, you know, uh, it doesn't matter how grassroots the thing appears to be, or how spontaneous it seems, or whatever it is. There they are in the background.
1: Oh, there's, there's a libertarian there. fungus that's grown into everything. Yes, that's where the ideology Absolutely. comes. You know, if there's any, but it really it's just it's about capturing all the wealth, and yes. and we're gonna do that by taking away all this public money and we're and instead of lowering taxes and reducing the size of the government we're just going to start siphoning it all off for private services
0: yeah. Well, and, and so it, it's the two parts, right? Like the policy that they put in place is all about um, making sure that, that freedoms exist only for those who have the means to secure them independently of themselves, right? There, there is a degree to which the dismantling of the government is about fucking over very large sectors of the population while giving all of the wealth, power, and control to their group. The other part of their project is um, gathering together everyone's hate in order to win elections, to put people in place who will put in this platform that's all about like wealth management for specific groups, right? So the thing that I find most disturbing about the fact that they seem to be always in the background with the policy is that the groups that they 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 mobilize to get these elections won to win it are groups who hate minoritized groups. It is the, the willingness, the overt and happy and joyful willingness to Give the policy to people who will mobilize the most regressive and violent ideas of society into winning elections to put this policy in place. It's like the policy, whatever, like there is no defense for the policy because the means by which they're happy to get this policy in place is through the dehumanization of specific groups of people. Even if you want to have a policy, you're like, well, are these bad policies? Dude, you keep funding people who want to do a fascism. I don't have to talk yeah. about policy with you. You want to open with the murder of the trans community. Well, we don't want them to be murdered. We just don't want them to exist anymore. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to treat you as a rational partner when that's your comeback. Fuck you. Yeah. And so we yeah. keep, we keep trying to have these nuanced discussions about, well, like what what degree to we uh, to which are we moving money around for freedom and rights? Dude, you want to open by eliminating Community of the country, I don't give a shit. You are bad. Or yeah. maybe contemplate the fact that the only people who want your policy proposals are the ones who are opening with trans people shouldn't exist in our country. If those are the only people latching onto your policy things, like look in a mirror, search your soul, find Jesus. I don't know that they seem to all be Christian nationalists, so like maybe they could actually find real Jesus, not prosperity gospel Jesus, and like be a different human. Just do something different with your life. I am angry about it. Right. I'm angry about it because like I have students who are scared and unfortunately, unfortunately have every reason to be scared.
2: And, and, and it's not something that is a, an abstract debate. We're, we're not, we're not contemplating uh, in some sort of a Socratic way uh, or, or, or philosophizing at the coffee shop. These are, are real tangible events and And they have real world consequences. This
0: is legislation.
2: you just you just can't you you can't devil's advocate about it.
0: Yeah, no, this is this is the thing, right? It's the part that like, it's not theoretical anymore. It's actual legislation that's actually happening that we're actually seeing enacted state after state after state that are carbon copies of things that have been passed in Florida and Texas that are being slightly modified for local circumstances that are happening over and over again. When we talk about the fact that there is an eliminationist rhetoric designed to wipe out the trans community, this isn't rhetoric and fear mongering. This is looking at laws now on the books in state after state after state. This is statistics.
2: This year, five hundred and something laws have been proposed or passed, specifically targeting trans people. Yeah. And the year before, it was it was like four hundred and some change, up from before that. It was less than hundred. Yeah, it was like maybe in the thirties, and and all related to sports, uh, something something like that. I uh, my timeline and numbers may be off by a little bit, but I this is I'm not being hyperbolic when I say. No. It exploded in the last few years yeah. from from marginal amounts of legislation to this year, we're
1: at like five hundred and something and and plenty of people call that back when it was just sports. And that this was it was an easy target because you had very few people that were that were actually, you know, very few trans athletes that were competing in relation to over the number of people in in general that play sports at. A high school and a collegiate level, and so you don't have a lot of there's not a lot of uh, of defense that can be mustered, you yeah. know, because the we're talking about groups that were very small, and so it just went unnoticed. And additionally, a lot of people don't really care about sports, you know, they're 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 just like, oh, you know, that's just what they're doing in sports and whatever, you know, like yeah. it's a it's a high school soccer team or it's a high school football team or a swimming team or something like that. And it didn't, it didn't really resonate with people as an issue that, that got their attention, yeah. but look, you can look back and you can see how that very small thing is, has, was, you know, this initiation, this initiation point to this moment we're finding ourselves in now. Yeah.
0: Well, and the people who started just having this discussion about it in sports are now becoming part of everything else. So like, I mean, Riley Gaines is now speaking at like fundraisers for, for Kim Reynolds here in Iowa. Right, like it's the taking of these things about it being like a discussion about sports, which should already be problematic, and now making it just a general, um, a general assault on the trans community. It never, it never stops in one place, Mm-mm. and we have to stop pretending that it does. We have to stop pretending that there are limits to this or that there is a logical endpoint where, of course, they won't cross that line. Like this is the United States. This is the virtue of history. Unfortunately, is that we can look that it does not just stop until you stop it.
1: It never has. I don't think. No, and and that, that's the thing that, uh, yeah, it's this complacency that that seems to be just a consistent feature among, you know, this a proportion of the population, regardless of the era you look at. There's just and there's a lot of, you know, there's just a whole story there, too, about it's really hard to be engaged in these issues when you're making decisions about whether you're buying food or medicine or paying rent. Yeah. It's hard to be engaged about issues outside of your own life. Because you're at you're at a subsistence like a survival level, and yeah. your thinking is small at that point because it is very necessary to focus on things at hand.
2: The whole strategy that is being employed has been employed many times before, and it works very fucking well. Unfortunately, which is uh, the places like Heritage Foundation or or Alec will will create these these packets and these ideas and and these neatly compartmentalized items, send them off to the, to their respective people in, in all sorts of places in a local level so that instead of trying to fight this on the national stage, uh, they're you're fucking playing whack-a-mole with, with every new thing that crops up. And, uh, the sophistication is that they're not centralized in the sense of, trying to run it uh in that way they're they're acting more like a virus Mm -hmm. where they just send out the packet of dna and then it spreads on its own wherever it lands and that that is the most dastardly part of it is that then all of a sudden the people who've been behind this shit for the last 40 50 years uh you don't even know that they're the ones who've been running this because they're not really running it they just create the thing and send it off and then other people take care of it much like we were saying earlier, uh, with the plausible deniability TikToks of "Hey, I didn't tell anybody to commit violence."
1: I didn't tell anybody to storm the Capitol.
2: No, no. Yeah, so <laughs> they don't have to be doing it to be at the source. Yeah, uh, or or to be the catalyst for for the event.
0: I, I think for me, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I know, right? Like, it's it's the worst possible thing to be like, "Let's bring this back to Nazis." Right, it's it's always like it's the lowest, <laughs> yeah. the lowest hanging fruit. Like you never you never want to bring this back to Nazis because like you lose every rhetorical argument when you compare it to Nazism. But I, but I think about I think about uh, Niemoller's quote, right? And we always do it in, like the first they came like the formalized version, and we always think about it in like the wrong terms. Like what, what Niemoller was saying is like it's, it's the way that he's complicit, right? It's a poem about compli- about, about the complicity with Nazi crimes. That, you know, first they came yeah. for the communist I did not speak out because I was not communist, etc. And like, he, it's not a poem. It's a quote that he used when giving talks about his complicity later on. And it would always include like coming out, of. then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because they were Jew. And then they came for me, there was no one left. But like the list of people he talks about changes because the Nazis came after so many groups. And the yeah. thing that I think that we, we forget about this is that the way that we talk about groups actually has real power to do harm. That it does not matter that you do not, if you do not know a member of the trans community, that does not mean that, like, you can just not think about on subsistence level. Because the moment you start calling out a specific group of people as being the enemy whose existence is harmful to the fabric of America, you are setting up a very predictable path. This is fascism. This is the inevitable march of purging multiplicity of groups. It never stops with one group. You always have to have enemies, internal and external, to fight against, to purify, to create the true America. So... Let's say that you don't have a no member of the trans community. That doesn't mean you get to wash your hands of the fact that this legislation and persecution and rhetoric summoning violence against the trans community does not impact you because it is literally the beginning of the not so slippery. Like it's it's not a slippery slope. It's a goddamn slip and slide straight into active open fascism in this country. You begin with the trans community and then you expand to the entire LGBTQIA community and then you expand to every other group you don't like. And it's one by one by one because you always have the first enemy you focus on, which leads directly into the second enemy you focus on, into the third. And it's listening to the rhetoric coming out of Trump and others where it's your Democrats, your deep state, your communists, your Soros-backed, the trans community, groomer, pedophile, all of this language is... These are the enemies destroying our country, and it's summoning the laundry list of violent inclinations. So if only you purge all of them from America, you will enter you know, our very own thousand-year Reich, our own special millennial kingdom, all the happy times the kingdom of God comes, whatever nonsense you want to say. But it's all part and parcel, right? The problem with this is that it's all part and parcel. These attacks and these political rhetoric and the way that we are watching it happen we're just we're just watching it happen we turn on the tv we get on social media we, we listen to campaigns they just keep laying the blocks over and over and over again and the blocks are basically just a long form five minute hate against marginalized communities and the thing is about someone like yeah. ramaswamy is that we can laugh about him because he seems like a tool and then you watch uh, watch more of what he's saying and it seems improbable but he's laying it all out right and if he doesn't do it what he's done is he's normalized it for the next guy to pick up right okay Fine. It didn't work when you had it from a tech bro, billionaire, uh, millennial uh, Hindu nationalist hanging out playing these games. Great, but you've normalized these policy points. They go into the next ones, right? Libs of TikTok may seem slightly extremist, though massively watched, but like, okay, you're normalizing using this rhetoric about you know, gender-affirming healthcare, and now you're banning it all over the country, and you're threatening to throw doctors in jail for doing it. And so like the, the cultural movements emphasizing fascist violence – being spoken on the multiplicity of levels of major social media accounts, far-right commentators, and then actual presidential candidates, normalizes it, and then it becomes legislation. And, like, we seem to be skipping some of the aspects of mob violence, though, again, not all of it, since we're prosecuting people for January 6th still. But, like, and, that's, I that's mean, because you don't have to have the mob violence. You're just getting the laws passed without getting to that state. That should scare the shit out of us.
2: Yeah, when we're, when we're skipping over the night of broken glass and heading straight into 1936 uh 37 yeah then that that's that's pretty that's pretty fucking well away. and let's and let's
0: also be honest we aren't skipping the night of broken glass we just keep, we keep having these far right shootings against minoritized groups that happen that are very overt about their ideologies and we're acting like they're not part of an entire web of ideologies happening Right, just because you don't get yeah. an entire town to stand up and go aside and like wipe out a minoritized community in their city doesn't mean we aren't already having crystal knock after crystal knock. Every single one of these manifestos from from El Paso to Buffalo to oh god, I, I'm forgetting what city the most
1: recent Can one can't even in keep now, track. Right, that's where our definition of what a group is needs to be updated because there there's no such thing as a lone shooter or you know that that doesn't exist. There's nobody acts alone. Yeah with every single one of these people have engaged in the same type even if not exactly the same in some cases but not necessarily type of online groups which function as sort of support groups for yeah. these the, the for these extremist like ways of viewing everybody you know yeah. like really like lowering reducing and eliminating the humanity of entire groups of people simply that's- based on some attribute and yeah. that's they belong to groups like this. So they're not acting alone. You don't need a bunch of people to coordinate this plan anymore, but it doesn't mean that they, they existed in a vacuum.
2: And, and when we, we have, you know, Tucker Carlson and, and, uh, Andrew Tate and Ron DeSantis and, and all these other characters, uh, that, that say, Oh, I, I, I don't tell anybody to do anything. I just, I just tell the truth and tell it like it is. I'm just a straight shooter. Uh, the reality is, you you have to make those connections between where these ideas are coming from, where what is the catalyst for these ideas, and uh, this isn't this isn't some uh, critique of the First Amendment or that they shouldn't have the right to be able to say whatever they want uh, from the point of the government shutting them down in some kind of censorship. But what the counter to that is is we need to have much more pushback and acknowledgement that this is fascism yes. and not be too shy about saying this is, this is fascism here uh, for the, for the risk of losing some sort of imagined argument yeah. uh, by, by not being nuanced enough uh, or, or being too quick to call it. Fascism. No, it's straight up fascism. Yeah.
0: Well, and let's be honest, since the Nazis are marching openly in the, in the, in the streets, waving their swastikas, we can go back to just calling them <coughs> Nazis too.
2: They're waving the the swastikas right next to Ron DeSantis 2024 flags. And once once
0: again, while I do not believe that there are formal links between the DeSantis campaign and any of these Nazi groups, you would think when the Nazis start saying, hey, this guy has good ideas, you would look inside and think, oh, I mean, you would Taylor Swift yourself here. Hi, it's me. I'm... I'm the problem. It's me.
1: <laughs> but instead it's it's more like Madonna, They're like you love me, you really love me. <laughs> I guess this means you like me. You really like me.
0: I don't think I don't think we're going to get a better clip than that. I don't think I don't think it gets better than that line right there. Oh
1: god! <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Actually, I hate to say it, but I'm running out of time here, so I, but I, I need I, to I go get kids to Cub Scouts. So yeah. yes, I, I know that feeling. <laughs> I do want to give you a chance, Thomas, to to talk about what you're working on now, and you you dropped the big one in the beginning of the call that you have a book in the works. I want to hear about it.
0: I've turned in the revised manuscript of my first book. Uh, it's a biography of a First Crusade leader, Raymond of Saint-Gilles, who is the oldest and wealthiest and arguably most powerful noble to go on the First Crusade. And most of it's about figuring out why someone would do something as stupid as crusading. And so it's looking into kind of regional religious and cultural identity and how you get about building a life in a kingdom that leads you to doing something like this. Um, And I'm really excited about that because I'm working on finishing the uh, book proposal for what's going to be my second volume, uh, a book that I'm co-writing with my best friend, Jay Tomlin, uh, at Fairmont State University on holy war rhetoric in colonial America, um, looking at the way that basically crusading rhetoric I mean, like The Middle Ages don't really end. We just put in a new period of time when we talk about from a modern lens. And so the ideology and the rhetoric and the aims are all still there. And the wars between empires in North America are also religious wars uh, between Catholics and a variety of Protestant groups and native polities who engage in a rhetoric of religious violence against each other. Uh, so we're working. Uh, we're working on the book prospectus right now. I'm going to be spending a couple of weeks in Boston in the fall, and then again in the spring in some archives. And this is the new project. Um, and somewhere along the way, I'm going to go back to writing about the contemporary political moment because it's like religion and violence are themes that we can trace throughout history. Much to my deep, deep seated chagrin.
2: I mean, it's just one nonstop nine inch nail song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. You're a, welcome. A new, a new depressing way to think about the narrative of history. <laughs> oh God, the teleology we did—we neither needed nor wanted, but here it is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh. thanks, Maynard. <laughs> oh, I appreciate
1: you. <laughs> oh. All right, Thomas. Where where can people find you and read your stuff online? Um,
0: I mean, I am a Twitter pugilist. You can find me at T. LeCocq on X or whatever you call it. I'm also uh, at T. LeCocq over on Blue Sky. Uh, you could, If you just want to read the things I actually write and listen to me talking about stuff, um, I maintain an active LinkedIn profile. Thomas LeCocq. Um, otherwise, you know, come to school in Iowa. Come take one of my classes. It'll be a good time for all of us.
2: Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thanks guys. Thanks for me. coming on. It's it's uh, it's been an absolute joy. I appreciate you guys anytime. Thank you so much for
0: having me. This this uplifted my spirits. I'm gonna get back on track with actually writing things to give you a reason to invite me on again. Hey, cool. That's definitely. that'd
1: be awesome. Yeah. And yeah.
2: hey, don't don't threaten us with a good time. No, we'll
0: I take mean, you honestly, up on it. it. It's an absolute
1: pleasure anytime. And I definitely I like I I would love to be on the uh, the book promotion tour. Dude, I tell you what, as
0: soon as as I actually start getting like, it's going through, what I'm hoping are the last round of minor structural edits and then uh, like maps are being made. I need to do like finish up like footnoting, like those kinds of things. But like, I'm hoping by next year, this book is going to be out.
1: That's awesome. Well, we'll definitely talk before that. Awesome. I appreciate you guys. Thanks everyone for listening once again, and a special thanks to our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to hear some extra premium episodes and get access to our back catalog, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash wetwired.
2: Until our next episode, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at wetwiredpod. You can also see us on Discord, and that's going to be in the show notes, the link to that. Uh, we're, we exist other places, but we're not really there.
1: Nobody, Nobody's home. Don't get your hopes up. All right. See you all next time. Later, skaters.
0: your profile is growing, but as it does, our polling also shows your unfavorables are up. This is the latest polling up 12 points since we polled this in August. Uh, One recent opinion piece puts it this way. Of all the descriptors attached to Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, the 38-year-old political Tyro enjoying a bizarre surge in the Republican primary race for second place, the most common one seems to be annoying.